Goeiedag, dit is Sinta Eberson van Vede Vols en ons is weer vandag bevoorig van Afrikaanse gesels. Let wel, ek is die talig so Afrikaans en Engels werk en ek is ook bereid en heel te mal daar in staat om in Afrikaans en Engels te communikeer. So as dit nodig is, doen as dit lief so. Ek het al vir 10 jaar uh, op die kundige platform vir families wat die afscheidings gaan. Ek doen wereldwijd navorsing, ek het een weie netwerk opgebouw waarin ek dagelijks werk om te leer wat is beter maniere om te sky, om te leer wat is beter processe om te volg, en ook om te leer wat is die persoonlijke werk wat ons moet doen, wanneer ons die afskernis gaan. So, dit is waarmee ek my beijver, en ek is een groot kampvechter voor beskaafde afskernis, en my uitgangspunt is dat afskernis nie die einde van die wereld is nie, dit is net die status quo wat verander, So wat ons basis doen wanneer ons dier afskerring gaan, is ons bestuur die veranderinge wat plaasvind. Ja, dit is ingrijpend. Ja, dit kan traumatisch wees. Ja, dit kan lang uitgerecht wees. En dit is alles waar, maar dit hoef nie die einde van die wereld te wees nie. Dit hoef nie een mens te pletter te slaan nie. Daar is maniere en processe en genoegsame ondersteuning en bijstand beskikbaar, so dat ons nou beste van ons gewoon hierdie proces kan bestuur, En dan wat ons doen, is ons vestig een nieuwe familiedynamika na die echtscheiding, waarmee ons dan op een positieve trant kan voortgaan. So vandag gaan ek net kortlik sê, echtscheiding is bitter moeilik. Kom ons vraag die vraag, waarom is echtscheiding so moeilik? Waarom is echtscheiding so traumatisch? Wat is die groot probleem en wat is die grootste uitdagings? So ek wil die deelnemers wat vandag hier is uitnooi om in die chatbox van my vraag te vraag en my vraag is in die lijn van wat is jou heel grootste uitdagings in jou echtscheiding wat jy op die oomlik beleef en het maak nie saak waar jy in jou echtscheiding is nie, of jy nog bezig is om te oorweeg om te sky of jy bezig is om nog jou hevelik te probeer red en desperaat soek na antwoorde en oplossings of hulp en ondersteuning of jy reeds in een afskeringsproces bezig is, en of jy dalk reeds klaar gesky is, want daar is altyd, al is jy al vijf jaar gesky, is daar altyd nog goed wat ons kan leer, en nieuwe dinge wat ons kan, nieuwe vaardighede wat ons kan bykry, om ons daarvan beter te vaard. So, tik as alweer vir my in die chatbox enige vraag wat jy leed, en laat weet my, wat is jou persoonlikste grootste uitdagings met jou afskeiding? en dan vat ons het vandaag. Die grootste redes wat ons kry vir echtscheiding is ontrouwheid en financiële koesies en dan ook communicatie. Dit word geluist as die grootste redes vir echtscheiding wereldwijd is die tendens daarna. So kom ons kyk wat is die grootste uitdaging. Ek het een vraag hier wat ek sommer hardop gaan lees en dan gaan ek het antwoord. Met die reel 3 en voor 3 Met een reel 43 aansoek, wat er slaggate moet ek van bewust wees ten einde my saak te versterk. Goed, wanneer jy in een afscheiding is en iemand moet onderhoud betaal of die broodwinner moet die kostes dek vir die levenskostes, tot tyd terwyl die afscheiding afgehandel is, is daar soms een probleem waar ons sikkel met een partij wat nie die kostes wil dra nie, wat nie een bijdrag wil maak nie, of wat absoluut daarop uit is om die minimum, minimum bijdrage te maak. Dan kan ons een dringende of aansoek by die hoofd bring vir die tussentijdse onderhoud, 
dit noem ons reel 43. Dit is een dringende aansoek wat vanaf moet gebeur. En wat jy daarvoor vraagt, is vir dekking van die levenskostes en die gesinse uitgaves soos wat het op daar die stadium is. So dit is een interim uh, onderhoud wat jy voor vraagt. Dit beteken jy met een lijst maak, een volle, volledige opgave doen van al die, die levenskostes en al die uitgaves in die huishouding of wat die gesin uh, betreft en dan moet die persoon wat jy die onderhoud van vraag bewys lever dat die onderhoud bekostig kan word, al dan nie. So, as ek nou moet sê wat er slag gaat uh, om voor uit te kyk, maak seker dat jou lijst volledig is. Maak seker dat jy alle uitgaves insluit. Selfs die uitgaves wat jy self voorbetaal, want die aansoek gaan oor die volledige totale levenskostes van die persoene in die hevelik of as daar kinders is van die hele gesin. So elke liefde ding het jy raak gemeld word, span jou basisse goed soos die behuising en uh, medische fonds en water en elektriciteit en uh, huishulp en bediendes en personeel en kredenierswaarde en skoolfonds en kleren en uh, buitenierse activiteit, brandstof wat in kar ingegooi word, uh, telefoonrekeninge, uh, enige hierkope of uh, enige skuld van enige aard wat afbetaal word, alles moet al gemeld word, want die hoofdgang kyk na die volledige prentie van wat het kost vir hierdie mense om te lewe, en dan gaan hulle kyk na wie het op hierdie, tot op hierdie punt die kost is gedra, en in wat er mate, en die ding moet so naas moendlik aan die huidige situasie voortgesit word. En dit moet dan in stand gehou word, tot tyd en weil jy is kikkingsoorlinkoms bereik. En is baie belangrik dat die mens daar aansoek so gauw as moendlik moet bring, dat hy volledig moet wees, en dan moet jy bedag wees op die teen argumente wat die teen kan, kan bring. Het is moeilik om te anticipeer, want jy weet nie of hy op die teen kan uh, rechtsverteenwoordige met wat ethisch kan optree, of wat um, daarop uit gaan wees om so min as moeite te betaal. Ongelukkig is daar in die rechtsberoep bedrijf heel wat mense wat onethisch optree, en wat da- daarvoor ek eindelijk gedokumenteerde voorvallen is in plannen, in strategieën wat toegepast wordt om partijen in een ekskeiring werkelijk financieel te renemeer of om die proces so lang uit te trek dat jy soveel rechtskostes moet betaal oor een lang periode so dat jy naderend jou fondse uitgeput het en so doende doen hulle jou op jou knie so dat jy naderend uit desperaatheid net oorgee en sê ook okay, ek sal vat wat ek kan kry, of ek gaan nie verder beklein, ek kan nie bekostig om verder die saak te voer nie, en dan wen hulle eindig. So, dit is belangrik om te besef, dat jy moet een volledige oefening doen, en dan moet jy wasbeteenwoordiging heen, wat skerp is, wat ingelig is, en wat, daar, wat braaf genoeg is, om enige taktieke en onderduimse strategie tegen te gaan. Dit is omtrend die belangrikste, want dit is ongelukkig aan die orde van die dag. As jy in een gelukkige positie is, waar allemaal bereid is om alle cijfers op die tafel te sit, dan kan het mys makkelijker onderhandel. Die uiteinde van een saak is net iets wat mense nie altyd besef nie. Wanneer jy in die hoofd kom, het jy een kans om jou saak te stel, 
en een kans om jezelf te verdedigen. En nou met een heel 43 aansoek is het eigenlijk grotendeels net papierwerk wat voorgeleerd wordt. Financiële staten, die volledige uitgaven is een bewijs daarvan in die smeer. En die magistraat, die, die landdoos of die rechter, dus kies dit met de rechter, wees, want dit dringende aansoek doen in zijn hoge rechtsop. Gaan een beslissing maken op grond van die papierwerk wat beschikbaar is. So, hoe meer volledig dit is, hoe beter. Dit moet ook niet te lang en te uitgereikt wees, nie, want dan kan hulle eenvoudig nie na ons kyk nie. Maar omdat het bedringende hoofansoek in hoge rechtsop is, beteken dit dat jy advocaat nie kan jy verteenwoordig, want jy kan nie self in hoofd optreden en jou procureer mag ook nie. So dat is extra kostes daaraan. Dit kan enig iets van 10, 15, 20.000 rand wees wat jy moet neersit vir advocaat, om die hoofdname so te verskyn om die Real 43 aansoek aan te voeren. So dit is omtrend die grootste slaggate wat daar is. Dan uh, moet ek ook net sê, dat indien jy, jy die teenpartij nie volledige cijfers bied nie, of indien jy vermoed dat jy die teen of selde, die, die teenpartij uh, onwaar cijfers of uh, gekookte financiële staten voorlee, of enigies, indien jy onraad vermoed, is die enigste manier hoe jy dit gaan bewys met de volledige forensische onderzoek. En hier is waar die onderduimse strategie die meeste mense knijp. Want jy kan, alles jy in, in die huwelik was, jy weet eindelijk redelijk goed wat die financiële situasie was en is. Baie mense het in saal in hulle gades, besighede en inkomstes en goed. Partij mense het nie. Maar jy het een goeie idee en waar is die precieze idee van wat jylle levensstandaard was, wat jylle levensstijl was, so jy het een goeie idee van hoeveel geld daar beskikbaar is, of hoeveel geld het dier jylle handen gekom, oor jare heen. So jy vermoed, en jy kan amper met sekerheid sê, dat die cijfers gekoop is, of die cijfers is nie akkeraat nie, of bates word weggesteek, of inkomstes word verblind, maar jy moet dit kan bewys, en dit meen jy moet dit, professionele persoon aanstel vir een forensische onderzoek. En een volledige forensische onderzoek kost werkelijk honderde duizende rande. Omdat het een baie gespecialiseerde veld is. En dan gaan hulle twee jaar of drie jaar of selfs vijf jaar terug in die geschiedenis om te kyk na sekere aspekte. Want daar is aanduidings van, van ongeruimdhede en onwettige aktiviteite wat in een echtscheiding in agneem word. Maar dit is een geweldige dierevening. En meeste mense het nie die fondse om daarvoor te betaal. So dit is omtrend die grootste slag gehad. Ek hoop daar vraag is geantwoord. Kom ons kyk, hier is nog een vraag in Engels. Is it possible to proceed with the divorce process under major financial strain when there are literally no funds to spare to proceed? Yes, it is. Uh, you don't need a lot of money to get divorced if you go with the mediation process. Obviously, nothing is for free and we need to enlist the help of professional people which have professional fees that they charge. And it's only reasonable that you pay for them. Be aware of the several free divorces, online divorces, divorces for 500 rand that are advertised all over the place. They are not comprehensive, they are not properly conducted, they are very simple and very elementary, and that might not be in your best interest to go that route. 
Yes, it is possible to negotiate with an attorney or a mediator to pay fees uh, at a later stage or pay it off over a period of time. People are mostly open to negotiation, so try it. Don't not, do not get to the point where you are paralyzed and not take action because you don't have the financial funds. There are people out there who are willing to, to um, negotiate their payment. But be mindful that you have to pay a professional fee for any professional person whose services you invest. It can be done very cost effectively though. Okay. Another question. If my spouse's monthly income varies depending on whether he has work at any particular time or not, yet he spends a lot of the money he does get in non-essential and irresponsible ways, how can I get him to contribute to living costs of the kids, both during the time that we are separated and after the divorce? Let me just scroll down a bit. If he has made me responsible for all the living costs during our marriage, even though it forces me to go deeper into debt every month, how can I urge, or I, sorry, how can I argue that he should take more ownership of contributing to these essential costs? At the moment, I pay for almost everything. Yes, one of the things that's always looked at in a divorce is the history. If you have a history of taking responsibility for most of the expenses, then I'm afraid you have proved your ability and capability and willingness to carry those costs. Um, it's a bit difficult if we are in a marriage because we committed and we agreed to support each other through whatever we go through and there might be times where people are without an income or they decide to go and study or one parent decides to stay at home and raise the children. So these are agreements that we make within the marriage and we're happy to sustain them while we are married. But when things go wrong, we have created a history of carrying those costs. We have proved that we have the ability to carry those costs. So it becomes a difficult thing to suddenly expect a person who was not the, the primary breadwinner or who was maybe not earning an income at all to now suddenly earn an income and carry half the costs. It is difficult, depending on... Uh, children's ages and needs and what the responsibilities are around the family. If you have no children, then obviously um, you, every person is free to go out there and uh, generate an income of some sort. If you have children, they might be very small and still require primary care, or there might be extra costs involved in putting them somewhere where they can get that primary care so that the other person can go and generate an income. It's difficult. The court is going to, in the majority of cases, look at the payment history um, and, you know, take it from there. It is, however, important to bear in mind, if a person has some form of qualification, they are regarded as more capable that, uh, to generate an income or to secure a job and an income than a person that does not have a tertiary education, for example or a person who is physically capable of working and has worked in the past because we're going to look at that history as well. If a person has worked in the past, earned a certain level of income and is still capable to do that and those skills 
and um, qualifications are still applicable today, then of course that person should go out and earn an income and contribute to the care um, of the family. So, yes, just in a nutshell, we'll look at the history of everything, but every situation is unique. And again, to go through this process in a mediation process is going to be much less acrimonious, um, more neutral and friendly, and you're supported by a trained person to resolve and facilitate the conflict around this, so you can get to a solution much easier. On the other hand, if you go to court, the court is literally going to look again at the paperwork and decide so-and-so uh, must um, go out and find a job and contribute. Or so-and-so has been carrying this person for a period of time, so you might be ordered by the court to continue supporting this person for a period of time, a bridging period, so that that other person has the time and the opportunity to get back onto their feet and to get back to a position of being financially independent. So that's more or less how you would look at it. There's no way you can force it. You can enforce the responsibility because according to the law and children's rights, both parents have an equal responsibility to take care of their children within their means. So it means within the, the earnings. So if I earn 50,000 rand a month and my, other, my partner or the other parent earns uh, 100,000 rand a month, let's just make it round figures to make it easier, I will be expected to contribute half the amount that the other person is going to contribute because that person earns twice as much as I do. So we are all responsible to contribute to the care and the upkeep of the children within our financial means. I hope that answers the question. Um, and again, I can't say this enough, every situation is unique, every marriage and every separation or divorce is unique, so there's no one-size-fits-all or one standard rule, but the general um, rules apply and of course the law is applied to the situation. What else are the biggest challenges um, that we can face in divorce? In the immediate thing, in the immediate situation. Conflict? Who has um, very high conflict? How do we deal with that? Normally when a relationship has broken down to such a degree that we're considering divorce, there's more often than not quite a lot of conflict. How do we deal with that? And if we have children in the house, how do we scream at each other and let each other know how we feel and show our anger and communicate our needs and our fears without upsetting the children? How do we do that? There are many skills that we can learn to communicate better even if we are separating. There are many skills and processes that we can learn to handle conflict and that's part of the work that I do. I teach people uh, effective communication skills and I teach people processes by which to deal with whatever it is that they are upset about or what they are triggered about. They are 
many, many processes that can be formed. So that's part of the work that I'm doing. And while we're at that, um, I'm going to put the details in the chat box for you now. If you are interested in getting more information, you can visit the website, uh, fairdivorce.co.za, um, and you will find loads and loads of free articles, directories full of resources, books, videos. Um, there are courses that you can attend, there are workshops, there are webinars, there are weekend retreats. There are so many resources out there and organizations that you can join that will help you through <coughs> your divorce process. So you'll find in the, in the chat box the website, spareddivorce.ca.ca. And there are also, uh, there's also a calendar where you can make a reservation, book an appointment with me, a consultation, or book uh, a seat on these open conversations. If you want to attend them, they are on Wednesdays, 11 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the evening, South African Standard Time. And also, there are a list of podcasts, my podcast, that you can listen to on Spotify. We record these conversations and they will be on there, among other podcasts discussing several topics around the world. And the link is also there. Okay, we have a question. Verzorger van ons schoolgaande kinders. Indien ek moet gaan werk, sal daar een kosteimplikatie wees vir nasorg of verdienste. Ek is in die stadium goedkoop vir verzorging vir ons kinders as die ander opties. Wat is die realistische verwachting van realiteerende onderhoud vir die gade? Ja, dit is ongelukkig in meeste gevalle so, dat die ouwer wat vir die huis blij, die primaire verzorger is, goedkoop vir verzorging is vir die kinders. Dit is een goeie oefening om te doen en ek doen dit gereeld met klienten van my om te bepaal wat die kosten sou wees om iemand anders te betaal om daar die primaire verzorging aan te doen. En uh, ek is op die oomlik eindelijk bezig om een vraaglijst, een vraaglijst wat jy online kan invul, saam te stel om juist hierdie goed aan te spreek. Die ouwe wat by die huis blij uh, doen uh, inkoopies, Rij al die kinders rond na activiteite toe, bestuur die huishouding, reel gewoon ek al die sociale activiteite van die hele gesin, uh, is uh, soos een opweer, is soos een drijver, <coughs> um, doen al die uh, rondrijdvluchte, wat is die mooie Afrikaanse woordafvorm, Engels plaats van errands. Dit is baie funksies wat een ouwe wat thuis blij in die primaire verzorg is vervolg waar daar nie een financiële waarde aan geheg word nie. Dit word vanzelfsprekend aanvaard. Weer eens, dit is een type van ooreenkomst wat ons in die huwelik maak, en ons is gemakkelijk daarmee en bereid om dit te doen te willen van die gesin. Maar wanneer ons tot de echtscheiding kom, dan moet die goed gekwantificeer word. Want dit is te makkelijk om te sê, maar jy het heel dag by die huis gesit, wat het jy nou eindelijk gedoen? Die ander persoon het heel dag, uh, by een werk geweest en inkomsten gegenereer, so dit kan makkelijk gekwantificeer word. Die ander goed moet gekwantificeer word. So as jy sê, jy is goedkoper, dan neem ek aan, jy het reeds kwotaties daar gekry, of het sal een goeie oefening is om een paar kwotaties te kry, vir, van verskillende dienste en mense, om te bepaal wat het sal kost om jou te vervang. En dit Tesame met jou levenskoste, want jou levenskoste as deel van die huishouding um, 
is ook iets wat jy redelijk makkelijk kan kwantificeren. En met die twee som gaan jy op een bedrag kom wat eindelijk realistisch is wat jy waard is om dit so te stel. Of wat jou bijdrage tot die gesin waard is. En ek dink vir my, uh, as ek met mense help werk wat jy as kan gaan, dan gebruik ek dit as een vertrekspunt. Nou uit die aard van die saak kan een mens nie eeuwenskeelig daai uitgaves aangaan nie, want dit is extra wat bykom, boon behalwe wat mens gewoond is en in staat was om van te leer. So dit gaan een redelike hoog bedrag wees, maar dit is een goeie vertrekpunt en van dan kan mens begin onderhandel en sê, oké, okay, uh, dit is wat het sou kost om my te vervang, so dit is wat my bijdrage in die familie waard is, en aan die teenkant kan mens sê, ek het hierdie kwalificaties, ek is bekwaam om al die mense te doen, sou ek nou uitgaan, om een werk te kry, kan ek moendlik uh, x, y of z bedrag verdien, vergelijk die twee met mekaar, en dan kom ek nie so vir realistische antwoord uit. Ek wil net iets anders sê oor rehabiliterende onderhoud, ek myself is nie voorstander van suiver um, onderhoud vergade nie, ek voel dat boonbehalve die levenskost is, probeer ons altijd een plan berang, om die gade wat nie selfstandig is, nie binnen een periode van 2 jaar, min of meer, selfstandig te kry. So in stede van om net onderuit te betaal, kan moet daar een gedeelte gespandeer word, om die gade te ondersteun, of te help, om een bezigheid tot stand te bring, of nieuwe vaardighede by te kry, sê nou maar dit is iemand wat vir 10 jaar of 20 jaar nie in die werks, in bedrijf nie werkzaam was nie, het miskien vaardighede wat 20 jaar oud is. So dit is nodig vir die persoon om nieuwe vaardighede by te kry, ten einde bemarkbaar te wees, en in, in, om, a, om a werk te kan kry, of die persoon mag daar wel bezigheid begin, so dat die persoon nog steeds van die huis af kan werk, nog steeds betrokken kan wees by die kinders. Wat het ook al is, ek denk twee mense moet het, ons probeer altyd, om twee partijen te krijgen om een werkbare plan uit te werken wat in stand houdend is, in stand gehou kan worden, zodat so die persoon zijn levenskostes gedekt wordt, zoals so een basis onderuit, maar al wordt ook geld gegeven om die persoon te helpen om binnen een redelijke tijdperk zelfstandig te doen. So dit is wat ik eerder aan het doen. In plaats van wat je net onderuit betaal, en die persoon is nog steeds gewoonde aan om onderuit te ontvangen, so mens beroof eindelijk die gade van die geleentheid om selfstandig te doen. Kijk, kom eens kijk wat is hier nog. If my spouse hides his income and I never know when he gets money in or how much money he has at any point, what can be done to get him to disclose this information? You do this with a legal, with litigation. Um, if the person is not forthcoming, and honest and transparent with uh, the situation and with the financials, then unfortunately the only way to go about is litigation. Then you have to issue a summons for the divorce and you summons the person to declare, to make a full declaration of all the financials. Then it means bank statements, uh, the history of two, even three years back, depends, sometimes it can go further back if it's necessary or warranted, but you have to then actually use a legal process to force that person to declare this information. Unless you are able to find a really competent mediator 
and you get together and sit around a table and start discussing these things because when you enter into a mediation process, you both actually sign an agreement that you will bring everything to the table and commit to full transparency. That is an option um, depending on how well you can mediate, depending on, on whether there's high conflict or not. But ultimately, if there's not full cooperation, then litigation is unfortunately the only option. How would it be possible to prove that there is a greater capacity for you to contribute to living costs than what he is claiming? That is difficult if you don't have the facts and you don't have proof of it. And like I explained earlier, it depends on what that person's ability and capability is of earning an income. If there are qualifications that enables that person to apply for a job successfully um, or work on a contractual basis or as a consultant, then you can take that as a starting point and say you are capable of earning an income or in the past you have been able to earn an income and um, it's only reasonable and fair to expect you to continue that or to do it again, once again. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, it's a really big challenge because, especially after the COVID um, impact, the impact of COVID the last year, people are in dire straits in many situations. Many have lost their, their jobs and their livelihood. So it's going to be a bit difficult to prove it. Um, a person can be asked to um, prove that they have made an attempt to earn an income, that they've made attempts to apply for work to secure a job or income. And when it comes to arguing this in court, they might get to a point where they are asked, what have you done to secure an income? What have you done to provide for your family? And then they will have to answer that. And prove that. So, in a in a, a negotiation process, those are the kind of questions that we can ask. Because remember, refer back to the law. Both parents are equally responsible for the care and upkeep of their children, according to their needs. So, that's the starting point. It's hard to prove. Unfortunately, there are people who don't really want to work hard full-time. There are people who can't. Um, there are people whose skills or qualifications are no longer um, required. Um, there are many people who have been retrenched and maybe they are dealing with um, emotional issues that they have to resolve first. There are people who have lost their businesses and they've lost their self-confidence. Um, so yes, there might also be emotional issues um, to work with. Uh, I can also assist with that from a life coach point of view um, for that person to get to a point where they have to really reevaluate their lives and decide where they want to go and where they want to be and then we set goals and then help or put a plan of action together to achieve that. So it's not a simple thing to try and force people or prove that people can provide for their, for their family. And yes, of course, there are many people 
who just turn their backs and walk away and they just don't care and they just don't contribute and you just never see them or hear from them again. Unfortunately, there are many like that. The, um, the antidote to that, I almost want to say, is to really get people um, invested in providing for their family. I have a beautiful process that I use to help both men and women to get to a position uh, or a realization, I almost want to say, that there's great honor in providing for your family, that it's an honorable thing to do, that it's a, that, that it's a respectable thing to do. And it's not by fighting or pointing fingers or accusing or resenting or anything like that. It's a, an internal personal process that I guide people through to get to that point, which is quite effective when we deal with um, with people who are really um, either too hurt or too um, defeated or um, just too angry to contribute. And unfortunately, another very uh, uh, common thing that happens is the spouses are angry with each other, either because of infidelity or some form of betrayal, um, and then because of that anger, they withhold the financial support. That is also something that happens quite often. And there it's important to separate the two and realize that the actions are grounded in emotion, and it's important to first do that emotional work, because then the actions will change. And that is part of what I do. That's why I call myself a divorce mentor. We have stuff that we carry when we go through separation and divorce. We have stuff to learn. We have behavior to improve. Um, we have a, a, a road that we have to travel. And, and I help with that. Okay. And I think this can be our last question because we're almost out of time. Uh, the break in communication and trust is heightening the conflict in every detail of our negotiations. We are talking through lawyers. How do we come back from them? That's a very good question. Um, in my experience, this, the problem is this. Lawyers are trained to do litigation. Lawyers are trained to start an acrimonious process where parties are opposed and they both have to put up the best fight that they possibly can because there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. And unfortunately, in order for them to do that, they have to take control of the process. So the words that we hear so often and that we see in the movies and we read in the books, don't talk to me, talk to my lawyer, is what people are told to tell their partners or their spouses. Don't talk to each other, tell them to talk to us. And that way they take complete control of the process and suddenly you are two people standing outside here and watching this whole fight take place and you have no say, you are almost forgotten in the process. So, to get back from there, firstly, um, is to realize that it's your divorce, it's your lives, and that you have to manage the process. You have to take control back. The way it's supposed to work is that you make decisions and you give your attorney instructions. But unfortunately, because most of us don't know the law and we've never been divorced, it's the first time we're doing it, so we don't know where to start, we give 
power and control over to our attorneys. And they do what they want, and they actually end up instructing us. But remember something, you don't need to know the law to know what's best for you. You don't need to know the law to know what's best for your family. And all the decisions that you're going to make in the legal process is based on what's best for you and your family. So you primarily decide what's best for your family, and then you instruct your lawyer to act accordingly. But both parties need to do that. Unfortunately, if somebody is angry and has a strong lawyer who's just taking over the process, um, unfortunately, the lawyers drive those processes with, with legal action and letters and threats and all sorts of communication back and forth, and they earn a nice lot of money. In the meantime, you're standing outside and you don't even know what's going on. So firstly, take control of the process. Take back the decision-making power. It's not up to your attorney. You decide what you want and you can get the legal advice from your attorney and based on that you give your attorney instructions on how to, how to act. And that's a, a unique balance. It's a fine line that you have to, to walk as far as that's concerned. Problem is, again, the lawyers have to put you in opposing positions and get you, keep you away from each other, and get you to not communicate. They all have a vested interest in breaking down the communication. So you need to stop that and take that back. And, and again, each situation is unique. Again, each person is unique. And each marriage is in its own way unique. So it's, it's one thing for me to say those things, when I work with the individuals, I can help them realize why the communication has broken down. I can help them see where the gaps are and where they need to build the bridges so they can get back to a point where they can communicate. You don't have to be enemies when you get divorced, especially when you have children. You have to be able to communicate because you're going to communicate with each other for the rest of your lives because you have children. So... Um, there are ways to overcome that. But there are ways to see that. The problem in the, in the legal process and the way most people handle it is that nobody ever really gets a chance to really say what they think, to really say what they feel, to really share what they're afraid of. I mean, to each other. The, the divorcing parties should be able to hear each other and see each other's point of view and then from there on go forward and negotiate a new family dynamic. That they're going to create. That never happens because nobody has that opportunity in the litigation process. And if you've done mediation and it's been unsuccessful, it is probably because of the communication that has broken down already and the places where both parties are are so far apart that they can't find common ground. And that's what I do. I help with that. It's, uh, there's work to be done and it can be done and one can get back to it. So we are out of time, unfortunately. Um, thank you very much for the very good, valuable questions. I hope I've answered them well. Please um, use the link on my calendar to book for the next open conversation and join us and share it with other people that you know. These open conversations are free and they happen every Wednesday at 11 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the evening South African Standard Time. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much, everybody.
take care. And if you need help, please book a consultation with me. Reach out. I work with this stuff and I know how to help you. I look forward to seeing you again. Keep well.